Peru. And Steve, can you put the details for the event right in the chat? Would everybody I will do once once we've got the people in. Uh, so we can do that then. OK. Yeah. Hello, hello, everyone. We're just waiting for all the social media to, to go live on this Women in Food and Farming uh, broadcast with uh, our eclectic uh, gang of committee members and, uh, and and Ted here. So we're just just waiting for the fa Facebook is uh, is lagging today. So, um, um, Ted, uh, part of this is uh, we also look to uh, wind up Christine on, on matters of the of, of the day. And sometimes she realizes and sometimes she, she doesn't. So let, let me go first and see what happens. Uh, so, Christine, uh, Liz Truss. Uh, you, so you advised her to become prime minister. How did that go, please? <laughs> I'm not up in Balmoral. Aren't you? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> but 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 actually, let's be just serious on that front. Um, are, are we are we happy that this uh that this um internal election with the Conservative Party is now done, and now we can we can look forward, Christine? What do you think? Well, I'm I'm absolutely delighted it's all over, and I suspect it was all actually sorted about six weeks ago, and we've all just been waiting for no reason at all. Um, but. Uh, I, I just don't understand a democracy where 160,000 people can choose the most important person, the most important job it, that we have probably at the moment. Yeah, we could yeah, probably yeah. do could probably probably do with an election. But I, should we should we <laughs> should we cover that topic off at an, an, another point? Hello, everyone. We are live with Women and Food and Farming with uh, Beanstalk Global. My name is uh, Max McGillivray. It's fantastic to host this monthly broadcast again uh, with them all. Beverly, how many of these have we done? I was behaving myself and was on mute. Um, I don't know, we must have done it two years worth. 22? Yeah, two. 24, I was going to yeah. say. Yeah. And it was we started in the November, so it must be at 22. And, and the reason why we did this was, was that we wanted to keep the continuity of women in food and farming um, alive and going, ready for when we uh, re-entered the world and uh, uh, all the all the team could get back to live person events for women in food and farming. So team, have you got a live person event all set up, Debbie? Yes, we have. We're very much looking forward to it. It will be at Savills. Um, help me, Kirsty. Is it Monday? It's on the Monday, the 26th of September at half past five. Savills um, oh. in Margaret Street off Oxford Street. And we want people to sign up. And Kirsty's put the link. We want lots of people to come because it'll be the first in-person in event we've had for ages. And it'll just be exciting to see everyone. And uh, everyone, just in the green room, they would, um, the, the team were just saying about, about, the, about the numbers. Christine, how many people have you already got booked in for that? Oh, just about 70 people booked in already, though I think people like Debbie haven't found the link, so maybe it'll be 71 in a minute. Are <laughs> Debbie and technology, eh, Ted? <laughs> but, Indeed. But, but in all seriousness, it's, it's great to have that uh, that that set up. And um, on the links, we'll, we'll put the, I think it's Eventbrite, Kirsty, you're running off, isn't it, too? Kirsty, turn your ears on. Kirsty, turn your ears on. Um, that's uh, we'll, we'll put that that link on. So, um, Kirsty, is there an upper ceiling of numbers that you can have? Um, so we we would like to have a hundred people there. That would be fantastic. That's what we were um, sort of aiming for. Um, so if we if we get somewhere near those numbers, that'd be really great. Um, but I think it's going. It's looking already to be a really interesting event and a really great way for people to come. With one of the topics we're going to talk about is what people would like to see. In the future of women in food and farming, are there additional topics you'd like to cover? How would you like the, the structure or the format to change? Are there additional things you would like us to be doing for you? We'll also be talking um, about a rather hot topic at the moment around uh, recruitment and early careers and how you attract young wow. people into the business. We did have um, 15 free tickets for uh, people under the age of 30 to join because we really do want to encourage 
young um, women in the early stages of their careers to benefit from mentoring, but also for um, people who are further along in their careers to benefit from hearing from these young voices about what they are wanting to see in their future and how they're viewing the world, because it, it, it changes so often and it's always really good for us to be able to learn from each other. Well, well done. I'm just going to make a, a, a housey and call on behalf, behalf of the Women in Food Farming Group because they're a bit modest um, and they've suddenly woken up to the fact that they need a website to be able to promote these uh, these events, but they need a little bit of money. And and, and Ted, help me here. We'll, we'll obviously come on and major on, uh, on on you in a minute. How much money does it would it take to make a, a nice little brochure website for Women in Food and Farming so that they can promote their events, show these videos, um, uh, uh, pr promote the, the in life um events in the future ted what, what's a what's a dart on a dartboard to make a nice little website do you think i reckon you could get away with 40 quid a, 40 quid a month something like that okay it would be and you just pay on an ongoing basis something, something like wix would be pretty good for it yeah okay so we we we're, we need a bit of sponsorship for women in food and farming can you imagine that we've got just looking at the stats there's there's 450 people watching us now on um on the very social media uh platform so if you had your uh brand on there um or and at these in-person events, you'd easily get say a thousand pound back very very quickly um, on on the basis of just helping women in food and farming. Christine, is that okay to promote that? That's brilliant. Thanks very much, Max. I should just say, by the way, that our event on Monday, twenty sixth, is actually um, Savills have given us the room for nothing. So there is a charge, well quid, which basically covers the, the food and the drink. So, uh, so we just said we had some free tickets, they've all gone now, but it's only 30 quid and, you know, just do come along and say hello. And uh, we won't spend the whole time trying to get money out of you, but uh, <laughs> it, would be, it would be good to have somebody that gives us, gives us a little bit to help a website get going. And, and, and the Savile site is, is one to behold. Not only is it in the middle of um, um, Oxford, uh, Oxford Street, Oxford Circus, but the, the building itself is, 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 is spectacular. Mm -hmm. Is um is, is definitely one one to see. Well, best of all, it's a it's a venue where we all stand up and and and, and natter, and then when we want to talk, there's room for everybody to sit down and uh, uh you know get 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 off their heels. Yeah, well done, Beverly. Who are women in food and farming? Women in food and farming. Well, we're we're from all different parts of the sector. So anyone that's interested in either joining food and farming, or you're already part of food and farming, or an affiliated industry around that, then everyone's welcome. There we go. Joy, joy, joy. And so let's get to, to the matter of the day. Um, who owns this son called Ted Hewitt over here? This handsome looking devil. Who who claims ownership, please? Me. Right, right Debbie, explain to us why we've got the fantastic Ted Hewitt on, please. Well, um, Ted does something very different. And I thought it'd be really interesting to do something very different. He um, understands uh, communication in the modern age. Um, he... Um, uh, he promotes oh, wait, things in a way that I don't. So I thought it would be really interesting to introduce Ted, particularly from a personal brand point of view, and how the younger generation, if you like, communicate and communicate much better than we do. De Debbie, well done. And just to put, put in my, my five pennies worth, um, I think it's brilliant to have the likes of Ted on because it really challenges us because without realising it, we can get quite myopic in our thinking within agriculture, within fresh produce, within fresh food. And so to have individuals like Ted look at us, analyse us, dictate to us, um, advise us from, from a different perspective, from a sector that is, oh, Ted, um, what do you reckon, five, 10 years in, in front of us in some respects in terms of, of, um, of marketing and, and also uh, colleague care. I think, think we're going to learn a lot from 
from Ted on, on that on that basis. Ted, would you agree? Um, uh, I, yeah, maybe five or ten years. I, you know, I, as neither a woman nor a person in food or farming, it's very hard for me to comment on the state of your businesses at the moment. But um, equally, when I see kind of the stuff you guys put out, I absolutely, I've absolutely loved this community. By the way, my mum has sent me quite a lot of the stuff you guys have talked about in the past, uh, and having watched it and seen the discussions you've had, it was an absolute honour to be invited along. So thank you very much for having me. Okay, so. Um, so everyone, what the form is going to be, Ted and I are going to have um, um, a 30, 40 minute conversation. Then we're going to bring um, the, the uh, team back in from Women, Food and Farming to, to have a bit of a, a Q&A. So, so Debbie, Christine, Beverly, Kirsty, if you could just turn off your video. And just for those people, especially on the, um, on the podcast, because uh, everyone uh, likes to hear a bit more of a, of a background of our, of our speakers that we've got, it, got on. So we're now live on LinkedIn, on Twitter, on Facebook, on, oh, have I forgotten anyone? Um, who, who have I forgotten, Ted? On the podcast, I've forgotten. YouTube? So, you on YouTube? YouTube. Thank you very much. Okay. So Ted, Ted uh, very kindly this morning, posted up the following on LinkedIn. And it goes, a few weeks ago, my mother asked if I could join a panel for women in food and farming. And I'll be honest, I wasn't exactly sure what I'd say or how I could add value to this group. I grew up in, in an agricultural community and both my parents work in this space, but I've never had much interest or skill in that department. And I've instead pursued my own path in life. After speaking with Max, though, I cannot wait to have this conversation, talking about all things personal brand, culture and well-being to a group of people who are keen to create amazing places to work. And that is my jam. This is the word we're going to all go away with today. Uh, Ted's word is jam. We've all got to learn this word jam. So Ted has been working in the employee well-being industry for the last seven years, specializing in sales and marketing for companies that do good in the world of work. He's been lucky enough to work for some of the best companies in the industry and has a huge passion for communicating big ideas, sharing his learnings and creating teams that deliver on world-class objectives. Boom, boom and boom. So, Ted, let, let's just go back a bit. We've had so many people on uh, Women in Food and Farming and also other broadcasts who, who've actually come from a non-ag sector and, and come into, I was going to say drifted into, come into agricultural fresh produce and, and they found it's been, been their route to success. Why did you go into agriculture? Oh, so, so many answers to that question. <laughs> um, no, it definitely starts as a kid, right? So I was, I was fortunate. I, I was brought up in this agricultural community in Northwest Lancashire. Um, and lovely part of the world that it was. I, I, when I was maybe about 10 or 11 or 12, I remember watching Star Trek for the first time, maybe a bit younger, maybe I was like eight. And I just was like, that stuff is far more interesting to me than fields, crops, plows, tractors i want spaceships man um i want computers i want things that are doing things that are bigger and broader and more exciting to me um and i always felt really really energized and inspired by that stuff so then when i kind of trotted on through school and through university and i went to, went to a really great school and a really great university and then you come out the other side and you're like ah what am i actually going to do and i decided i'm going to be a musician and that did not work out but that's okay <laughs> um i think that was one of the big learnings there um but the drawer of the drawer of agriculture was always something that I kind of kept to the distance. I'd seen the through the lens of the work that my parents had done and seeing the things that my mum gets up to, yeah. which you know I'm really proud of her and she does amazing work, but it just wasn't that didn't make me at all excited. Um there's a long-running joke about my mother and um, potatoes, particularly a, a, a strange fascination with potatoes. And so it's very hard to get excited about these small brown round things that while they are fantastic sustenance, they don't exactly get me out of bed in the morning. Yeah, I, I can absolutely relate to that. My my father retired now. He's a, he's a doctor of biochemistry and he lectured at Sussex University. And obviously, <laughs> the intelligence missed, uh, missed me completely out. But I remember at 16 doing a week's work experience in his lab. 
and that put me off any any thought of any scientific uh, in, endeavors and because the week after I ended up building uh, pig arts for the for the for the next six months and that set me on the on, on the route to to agriculture so I think some sometimes you need to have that formative experience and without realizing it, it it's sort of it's a bit like a bowling ball going down a bowling alley isn't it it's, it's just going to push you in a, in a particular direction to to go in and if agriculture is not the thing but you've got some um, that that um, that that background to give you that push to go to a decent school, a decent university. You you got to find your way. What did you do at university? <laughs> so I studied law. Wow! Um, wow! Yeah, 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 yeah. And I was awful at that as well. Uh, it's funny. I've got this. A, this a really long chain of events that lands me here. Um, but no, I studied studied law, and then I transitioned into philosophy. Um, and again, it was all just like there were just sort of things I was partially interested in. And I was still trying to figure out like, what are these things that actually energize me? What gets me out of bed? What are the things I actually really want to do? And this is again, this is uh, just to paint a picture a bit. This was like 2008 when I left uni, right? So I walk out of uni with a law and philosophy degree right in the middle of the recession. And uh, I was like, oh, guess I'll be a musician then. And start just trying to do that and got like odd jobs here and there. And, um, that was that was a, that was a fine experience, I guess, but it was still so far removed from kind of where I where I sit today. It feels like a really wiggly, windy journey, um, yeah. which is never not necessarily the wrong thing. It's just kind of how it was. I, I, I totally look, look at the, like like say James Dyson. James Dyson didn't actually start to uh, do well in his career until until he was fifty three. And then yeah. there's a, n- a number of other examples like that. But perhaps we're we're a bit forced because of the. Uh, the environment that we're in that you have to be successful you have to have had the degree you have to have the the job earning six figures by the time you're 26 you have to have the house you have to have the 2.3 kids and the, and the labrador by the time you're 30 but but ted why because it's surely it's all about well-being you don't need to follow well, the crowd you need to do your own thing it's about purpose i think so i think when i was doing the music thing i had a real sense of purpose i knew what i was trying to do i knew what i was trying to accomplish and like there was a goal there was like an objective it wasn't like a, a, in hindsight it was quite a wishy-washy goal but you know there was still a goal and what I found through that process though, is I ended up having to get jobs that would sustain a musician's lifestyle. It's, it's a very poorly paid job. If anyone's ever tried earning money playing music, it's a tough gig. Um, but I spent a load of time with that purpose. And then when I, when I sort of transitioned and, and started finding out, actually, you can earn quite a bit more money if you actually just get a job and be really good at that. And I found I was interested in some of the things that work, but I always was a bit more work lacked purpose especially when I worked in big corporates when I first started so I worked for a, a very large supplier who should remain unnamed um I worked for a few of them and they while they were kind of nice places to work in the sense they paid you well or oh, well-ish um they were not super fun there was very little fun yeah. there was very little creativity or excitement or like energy that I could take from work yeah. um and it was fine when you were still doing you've got hobbies and, and endeavors that you enjoy doing outside of that but actually it was for me it was the, the journey I went on post that figuring out that actually work needed purpose for me yeah. for me to get energized by and to get excited by it yeah. um and so it was then a kind of when I felt I kind of fell into the well-being industry at the time and I was inc- I'm incredibly lucky thinking back to it now to get that first job that I got in this space you know, HR technology was like something I didn't even know what HR technology was but I got <laughs> I somehow landed myself a very junior sales role at this at this amazing business and I went from not knowing what I wanted to do, having just landed in London, never lived there before, to having a very clear direction, purpose, mission, my own set of values, things that I believe in. Uh, and, 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 and Ted, I dare say a bit of authority on what I was talking about. And, and Ted, why was that? Was that because the, the company had, had given you that direction, going, using my bowling ball um, alley and, and yeah, analogy again? 
to, to what they they gave you that that magic dust and 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 you you picked up that and just fo focused focused there, there on in yeah there were two i think there were two things they really did um that that changed things for me first one like on, from a top-down level they created a business and the whole business was about innovation and creating spaces where people could be the best version of themselves it was a really big part of the narrative they had a really big part of who they were as a business and how they operated with their customers when they were building the tech when they were delivering it and running customer success and these big employee engagement programs it was all it was all about creating space where people could do good work and on the back end of that what that created was this amazing um, space for managers to really own it and do things they that managers i think oftentimes feel impeded to do and i was really encouraged it was my, my first boss a guy called louis um he was phenomenal he like opened doors for me and it, not but not like through introductions or anything it was more in, in yourself like the, the line that always really stuck with me and I've, I said this to all the people I've managed since is that your superpower is you're the best version of Ted that there ever will be and that's that's <laughs> what you have um, no one else can copy that no one else can take that from you that's that's your biggest strength and your biggest asset when you're going out and doing your job and I've thought about that a lot over the last few years and I, I, ever since really because it's true like and, and Max you're definitely the best version of max that there could ever be that's that's what you have got going for you and anyone watching this that's probably something to think about yeah it's 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 it's, it's fascinating that that whole aspect is it in the respect of that there's the standard graph that i always talk about from crabfield university and one day i'm going to find it again where they ted where they show that those companies that invest in training and development of the of their teams of their colleagues of their staff see far better uh, financial turnover see far better growth see far better turnover and see far uh, better uh, re retention uh, but within our sector that it's it's not just the companies, but it's also the attrition that goes on in the sector, all the stresses that's going on with, with everything at the moment. But it's really difficult sometimes for those companies to be able to, here comes my phrase again, create that magic dust to, to empower those those, um, those 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 people. Um, because of whether it be the culture internally or the or the culture within within the trade, it can be just very arduous. So so let's talk about um uh, employee engagement and, and company culture and employee well-being. How 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 do you define that? How how would you set it up if someone came to you and said, Ted, I'm going to create a business or I've got a business and I really want to get this employee engagement sorted and nailed? Where, where, how do we go with it? Where, where do we take it? Where do we start? How, how do we make it work? Well, now we're getting into it. Like, I think first off, there's like a language problem. So the idea, like the idea of employee engagement, if we start with that one, is maybe a bit challenging because in my from my experience of it, engagement isn't something you either have or have not got. Like, if you think about how you feel, like if you think about engagement as a definition of like how passionate you feel about what you're doing, like how engaged you are, how much you're enjoying what you're doing, that is a spectrum and a scale. Like, I feel very differently about it on 9 a.m. on a Monday as I do from 3 p.m. on a Wednesday or 6 p.m. on a Friday. Like, they are all, and it fluctuates all throughout the week. So, like to say, like I've nailed employee engagement, I think is a really complicated thing in and of itself. I think, I think, like there are th certain things you can focus on though that I do think make a difference. So, like if we take it to something like, and like, a term I really like actually is employee experience. I think that's probably a more, it's probably an easier one to like internalize and understand. How can I affect the employee experience? Well, I work in marketing for a financial well-being provider, right? I work from home three days a week. My which would argue 60-ish percent of my employee experience is staring at my computer screen. If I don't have a computer that works properly, that is a really bad employee experience. And it's I, I, just for 60% of your working time at this business. Like, so that's, that's something you can tangibly solve with a relatively small amount of money, right? Yeah. Making sure you've just got equipment that works, software that isn't crap, 
um, thing, and, and not putting loads of unnecessary blockers in, in and around those things. But then you've got the other 20% but like the culture stuff, the relationships that people build. And I think in, so if you work in a, there's, there's two ways of looking at it. They've got small businesses which create the like micro cultures. And, um, and those, are, those are really, really powerful. And those are the things like that you hear about startups that like explode out of nowhere. That's where that, that's where the magic dust is. It's in those like, I dare say familial relationships, although anyone who uses family at work is, it's a, it's a little bit of a red flag at this point me um we'll talk, we'll talk. um so you've got these kind of like micro cultures small businesses large businesses operate in the same way you've got lots and lots of micro cultures but they try and dictate from a top-down level about what that should be how should we all act and that's where things like mission and values and being really value driven can actually start to turn the needle so if you think then how can i improve my employee experience through tangible or intangible things whether that is treating people with respect whether that is having sensible policies whether that's investing in better benefits whether that's just investing in making sure that their job design is, is sensible and that people actually aren't just doing menial tasks nonsensically for no reason and then at the top level you've got the kind of strategy stuff like how can we dictate the sorts of interactions we want people to have how can we create the spaces how can we enable those mid-managers to allow all of our baseline employees to actually do great work without getting loads of red tape and stuff in the way so like that's probably a bit of a wine wishy-washy answer yeah. to saying i think there's a lot in there yeah and no, I, I agree I, I remember another comment that came from um uh, I think it was the CFO of uh, British Telecom who was saying that um, if you've got a, a business with over 500 employees, it's so difficult to create that uh, employee engagement, let alone if you're on a multi-site basis, let alone if you're on an international basis. And, and we've, we've often talked with Beverly about this because, geez, half a billion pound turnover and sites from, oh, crikey, from Senegal to Spalding to, to America. And it's very impressive as to what they do with their, their business to keep that uh, employee engagement going. But it's, but it's, it's a, it's hard work isn't it I just go back to that that it's so simple the computer element of it but I I you, you took me back a few years when I first started off and I was on a rubbishy laptop and, and the accountant wouldn't allow any of us to change our laptops and they'd lost two-thirds of the team within a three-month period because everyone was just so frustrated because it's commission-based and we couldn't do anything and, and the bosses wouldn't um uh, uh, wouldn't wouldn't allow us to get the computers we wanted because the uh, accountant had had his fingers on the purse string and didn't want but yeah for that little bit of investment the uh, the, the return would have been would have been um significant. I'll give you I'll give you a simpler example. This, this, there's a really good friend of mine who, when she got married, she's changed her surname. And the change in surname happened uh, during her week off, during her honeymoon. She did all the paperwork, did all that stuff. Every single one of her workload, including her pass to the front door, would no longer work because of her change of name. So what you've wow. done is you've taken this lovely thing, this human experience where like our colleagues were celebrating about her getting married, like the business was aware of what she was doing, but there's the infrastructure around it uh, that created a chunk of her experience, which was things like opening doors, all of a sudden was broken by just a little bit of a lack of forethought and, and not enough focus or understanding that that actually was a really big part of how she interacts with work. She worked there six more weeks when yeah. she left. Wow. And, and, and Ted, the, the, everything is changing so rapidly. You, you look at my, my father, um, he only ever had two, two jobs in his, uh, his career. You look at your, your uh, mother, she's only ever had um, one employer in her life, the potato. Um, <laughs> Touché. The, the, um, um, if, if you look at the lights of my 16-year-old boy, um, it is predicted that by the time he retires, he's going to have upwards of 40 different jobs in the gig economy. 
um, because he'll be able to work for six six months, nine months on a on a project basis, say designing a, a website, take three months off, travel around Europe, um, and then get back into an, another contract, be based from 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 wherever. Um, and so it's it's and you, you look at the lights of um, oh god. Um, uh, look at the likes of Gorillas. Um, Gorillas, the delivery um, app, um, and their seminal rise um, over the last eighteen months. And if you've uh, picked up on the press and on how they've had to pull out of a number of um, uh, UK cities, at one point there were hundred million pound turnover in the UK, and they were growing so rapidly. And as you say, it was that magic dust of bringing people in, onboarding them, giving them great experiences, giving them great, great kit. Uh, but the model's now not working, and those individuals are now falling away from gorillas, but bouncing on to the next thing. So, to, 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 do you think there's a change with um, with with the with the work profile out there that they know that um, jobs aren't for life, and they're prepared to work for a company knowing that it may only last eighteen months or, or a year, but there'll be something else to then bounce on to? Yeah, massively. Uh, I think there's a, there's a couple of big things that I see driving that. Uh, the big one at the moment is cost of living, which I'm, you know, yeah. I'm sure none of us are immune to in, in this room. Um, I'm seeing, particularly the work I'm doing, I work for a financial being company at the moment, and what most of our customers are reporting back is they are, they are hemorrhaging employees on the basis that a lot of people will go and leave the job that they've worked in for 10, 15 years to go and work somewhere else for 10p an hour more. Like wow. it's, it's as, it's as wow. crazy as that at the moment. So we're seeing where typical retention would be, uh, sorry, typical turnover would be something like 15%, all of a sudden it's 30, 40%. Wow. Um, and no, with, you know, it, with all respect to the industry that I work in, like great and comprehensive and fantastic benefits isn't going to change that, like unless they're like cash incentivized. Um, so there's, there's, there's that kind of piece. There's also like this understanding that from the pandemic and the post-pandemic world, there is a lot more opportunity out there for people to work in a more flexible way. So there is also, I think there's a large cohort of people who are kind of my age and around my age who are thinking, who discovered actually a couple of days at home is pretty great. I don't have to spend hours and hours commuting every single day. Um, yeah. and you can create a world around that. And that's become very, very attractive to, um, to a lot of people, but, um, equally as well, it's, it, I think it just comes down to it's never one thing and yeah. trying to keep people businesses are always trying to fight people actually it's interesting in the space i work in most people all of the employee engagement stuff always hinges its uh, our return on investment on your retention rate so um i'm sure i'm sure beverly and christine and kirsty in fact we've had no we've had conversations about return on investment um for investment uh, into like things like hr technology um and i just don't think it's down to something as straightforward as like your platform or anything like that there's always yeah. something in the background the cost of living is the big driver at the moment but as we get to the end of that there's going to be the i see this this big shift happening where people want more from work they want more respect yeah. they want more of their own time they want they don't necessarily want more money they just want to live well i think that's yeah, the, yeah. That's i'm just the thinking of that i'm thinking of that epitaph of um, of the office worker that died who, who sorry who retired then died and the epitaph of his grave gravestone was i wish i stayed at the office longer <laughs> and, and and you spend so much time in the office you want to you want to enjoy it you don't want to go in there uh, feel, feel, feeling uh, miserable I've, I've got mr shouty on whatsapp who i'll, I'll call mr shouty and, and he says fantastic beard um Thanks, ted, ted, beard, beard, beard of, the year, of the year um we our, our sector is slightly more sedimentary than the um, sectors that yourself and ted have been um, talking about how do we keep retention of staff within the likes of our agricultural business with all the changes going on at the moment within within business and within politics so we so we've got so we're, oh, we're, I don't want to say we're slower in our sector compared to, say, the well-being sector. Um, 
but but there 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 is we're also suffering the same challenges. Ted, have you got any and any tips to employ employers as to how we can look to retain people as we work through this next eighteen months? As as because a number of these businesses they can't just throw money at people uh, to keep them because they've got their own price pressures because of whether it be energy rates or packaging rates and so on and so forth. Wait, what, what is the let's use our term again that the magic dust to creating uh, to keep. To, to holding on to, to people, to keeping that retention level yeah. high, to, to create to creating that well-being within within a business. Any any tips you can give us? So, so the big one I'd probably the big one I'd always start with is listen. Um, I think the the idea of a survey and surveying and asking your people questions um, is very popular. Lots of people do it. Um, I think it's done really poorly a lot of the time, and that's not through fault. It's largely down to actually the complexities of data collection itself. It's very difficult to create a questionnaire that's free of bias, that isn't answering questions that you already know the answer to, um, and also then has a good experience for the user that'll actually get you a, the correct information. I'll give you an example. We did a survey at Salary Finance recently. Um, we asked our people, do they think they are more productive, less productive, or just as productive as they are um, at home versus the office? 99% of people said they are at least as productive, if not more at home. There's no way that's true. I'm just statistically that is not possible. Um, but no one's going to sit there on a survey and say I'm less productive anywhere on a work survey. You'd be, you know, you're just not going to say that. Yeah. So there's there's little challenges like that. If you're going to listen, I would strongly encourage you to invest your money in that kind of piece. Work with a survey provider if you if you can afford it or if you already have one in place, and actually talk to them about what is it that you what are the questions you're trying to answer. It's really easy to just say ah, listen to what your people want. And to your point, actually, you can't just throw someone goes ah, oh, I need ten grand a year uh, more to stay, and you go. I mean, you, it's just not feasible to always do that. But really talk to them about what it is that they're seeking. Why is it that they need that extra cash? Is it to fund some kind of lifestyle thing that they're trying to do? Is it because actually the benchmarking is off and actually we are underpaying people and that's just how that is? And do you start to get an understanding of that problem? Um, or is it more, do they want more? Do they want more responsibility? Do they want to take on new, new challenges? Is it actually that they're bored? Is it that there's, it's trying to figure out that, uh, those things, but the challenge always comes again, when you're asking these questions, you're trying to, you try and summarize an, an entire cohort of people who all think differently, all have different yeah. life experiences and feelings and their own problems going on um, under, under like a single thing. So when you are doing those surveying thing, the one thing I'd advise really strongly, especially if you work with a provider who does this, is like, I'd stay away from that singular like engagement number, yeah. So you might you've you've probably seen this around a bit where people are oh, my employees are sixty six percent engaged. Oh, don't don't yeah seen it yeah yeah Awful. Yeah. yeah yeah it just doesn't mean anything it's it's um it's a myth and a mythical figure much like the IQ test it doesn't yeah, really tell you anything. It just tells you how back. good they were answering the test yeah yeah and and, and actually just to interject that um I hope it's okay to bring this in I'm sure she won't mind uh, Jane Craigie of um, Craigie Marketing, who's uh, on Women in Food and Farming and we've had on a number of times. Over the weekend, she posted up on Twitter and LinkedIn about her concern that um, a number of her team um, work from home and she's really worried about the, the cost of living crisis. And so she was reaching out externally as to what can I do to um, assist my team to make their life easier? Because uh, um, Jane, I'm, I'm guessing, can't throw, throw money at them because she's a, a small business, but she wants to make sure that they're okay. And, and she was doing it in a 
completely non-jingoistic uh, manner because that, that's just Jane all over. And, and actually looking at the feedback that she was getting, everyone was positively piling in with suggestions as to what they can do, uh, that there's employees. And, and I just thought, actually just stepping back from it, looking on that helicopter view, what, what a great thing that she's done that rather than doing a MailChimp survey, how, how, how satisfied are you at work today, not to 10? Um, she was actually going out externally to try and find solutions to then present to her team and say to say well, these 10 people come back and they've suggested um xyz what do you think can we all do that and and uh, i just just thought that engagement was um so so good and someone who might want to work for jane or someone um at jane's who uh, might be thinking of, of of moving on just because of a um a, a financial basis would have second thoughts because of the way that they're being looked after so for me that that was a fantastic ex example of uh, of employee engagement of i'm thinking of you because i want to i want to help you i want to make this work for you so i saw this wonderful example the other day i was talking to someone they um because they've gone fully hybrid they've scaled back their office they had a really big office now much smaller office so people come in on particular days and on the saving they've made on the office space they have passed that entire saving back to the employees so wow. i think it was something like 200 grand a year they're now giving that back to employees not all of it but enough of it yeah. to help them with their energy bills that's let's all go straight like that was and that was the pitch is that we've made the office small we're saving x amount of money a year it's back let's give it back to you guys because uh, you're going to like you're sat at home using your own energy to do the work it's going to make yeah. sense yeah, it, and there's this uh, this expression. I'm all, I'm never quite sure whether I should use it or not. About never waste a crisis. The the, the predictions are that we're, we're going to be working through this for the next um, eighty months. So now, Ted, see if you're in agreement with me on this one. Now is the time to look after all of our team, um, to to show them um, that we're with them on this one, to 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 help them, to create that employee engagement, to create that uh, that positive work culture, so that we can all figuratively hold hands and work through this. Because when we get through this. <coughs> They're going to be so positive about working for the for that business on game, and they're going to recommend that business to other people. What do you think? Absolutely, um, I think though there's two sides again, two, always two sides of the coin. It's very easy to talk about that stuff, and, I, and it gets talked about a lot, right? We talk about how we care about our people and the things we do for each other, and the ways in which business supports its employees. Da, 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 employer of choice language, whatever kind of works in that sense. There's a very different thing to saying it to doing it. And I find that talk is really cheap and everyone's really wise to it at the moment. So in a, in a candidate's market in particular, it can't just be as telling, reminding people. I see HR people doing it all the time, actually, where they're like, oh, we've got these amazing benefits. We're doing this and that. And people are still leaving. Oh, You've got to go, don't. well, there's, more to, there's clearly more to it than that. Um, there's clearly something else that you're not understanding that we that maybe you haven't unlocked in people maybe there is something a bit more fundamentally wrong maybe maybe it's at the leadership team level maybe it's mid-manage level maybe it's a training and LD problem but you've got to like that's the thing i would focus on rather than telling everyone about how great it already is or how much work you're already doing like what thankless as it is um you still have to do that extra bit more and actually put your money where your mouth is sometimes yeah, and it's, uh, you brought me back to, I, I wish I had the, the printout, there was a great thing on LinkedIn uh, uh, about a year ago, uh, um, just bemoaning the fact that people post up uh, roles saying benefits, uh, 21 days holiday plus bank holiday, uh, pension, uh, legal requirements. Uh, 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 lunchtime, and it's yeah, not a benefit, it's a yeah. bloody legal requirement. Talk about, talk about mental um, awareness training, talk about financial planning uh, training, talk about free gym membership, um, talk about the duvet day, um, and, and don't talk about blinking bank holidays that is a legal requirement. It's just appalling. Okay. Sorry. Competitive pay, which is like the, the most, of course it's competitive. I'm, I'm not going to yeah. work for substandard pay, am I? I mean, 
it's, it's, it's stuff like that. It's, 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 I understand why, having worked with a lot of recruiters, and particularly the job we do now, we really, we've got a huge recruitment pro- I say problem. Like we scaled really fast. Yeah. Um, one of the challenges that salary finance has really had is that through that process, it's burned out quite a lot of people. So people have gone, really good people have gone. We now have to recruit back in new knowledge, new skills. And it's really, really challenging. It's been really, really difficult to get those people in. And so when we list that, when we do the careers page and we, we rebuilt it, it was one of those like, we kind of have to put something about pay. I'm, I'm, I'm personally, my business doesn't agree with me, but I'm all about putting the uh, salary on a job spec. I think that's yep. actually, I don't know, how you, how do you feel about that, Max? Yeah, candidates want to know three things. Um, they want to know the exact company, the exact location and the exact money. Um, so when we run an advert with a recruitment head on, what we tend to do is nominate who the client is, nominate the, the location and fudge the money. Because within our sector, um, if you nominate that, um, just make it up, a farm manager is on 55K uh, plus accommodation plus a bonus, um, it then causes a problem in the business or and down the, down the local pub. Oh, see old, old New Jack, the farm manager, he's on 55K. And I don't, I, I've always worked with that, that mantra, but yeah, this with, within other business sectors, it will work. But as a, as a whole, it, it is a known fact. No, I, I get it. It's, it's, it's riddled things. with challenges, right? I just think what it says, what it broadcasts, as an employer is we're transparent and i think that yeah, well done, is becoming well done, more thank you. and more important yeah yeah okay 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 so so it feels like we're, we're, do, we're doing a bit of a um a, a, a toolbox for everyone for the next um 18 months using your expertise so let, let's just keep keep going with this so how can we create a better culture a culture that's going to um assist and retain people and recruit people in for the for the next 18 months what, what would your advice be on that please It's not even, it's nothing, there's no like one thing. I think, depending on what you're trying to do, be really clear with your mission. Like, why are we, you have, if you've come across Simon Sinek's work, I've, I've really liked his books in the past. Um, Start oh, With Why was a really, really good one because um, the, 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 the message is really obvious. If you can communicate why you're doing something, what you're trying to do, like, I'll give you the example, actually. The, the business I first, uh, when I first moved into this space had a very, it was incredibly mission orientated. And the mission was um, to... I've forgotten what the bloody mission is. It's off the top of my head. Um, but to, I love that. Cre- to, to, to help employees all around the world and to be, it was just so altruistic. It was so kind and it felt, it really like landed with me to create, to make the world a better place to work. That was it. To make the world a better place to work. That was just like, I'm in. Wow. And I bought, and I bought into that in a really heavy level. And I think, I'm not saying that, you know, everyone has the kind of luxury of being able to have something kind of grandiose and big and sexy as their mission. Sometimes it needs to be a bit more like, sensibly orientated but i think if you can buy if you get the kind of buy-in particularly from really senior people about like why we're here can we help communicate why these people should come and do this job come and work with us and do it all together um what we'll start to figure out is like what are those core values that we all share what are those things that we um that make us great and make us strong and create the best experiences whether it is as simple as plowing fields or if it's more more complicated like making chip making crisps some of them become painfully aware it's a very complicated process yeah 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 um all, all of those in between require great people to do the, their best work so it's if you have great mission that gives you great values that gives you allows you great space to do great work yeah uh, mr shouties just let me <laughs> He still, he still thinks your beard's great. I don't know why we've, we've changed it in the, in the last 10 minutes. Um, he, he's saying uh, about give the Chris Evans example, which is an example we roll out within our friends quite quite often. So Chris Evans, when he bought Virgin uh, Radio, um, he said, right, I'm going to have an open door policy. 
uh, and his door was open. And then he found very quickly he had everyone coming in on a Monday morning uh, to complain about their love life, the fact they wanted a raise, the fact that they wanted um, uh, six months off sabbatical to go around Australia, but they wanted it paid. And he he just got overwhelmed because he found he was being too generous with his time with this open door policy and he didn't know how to how to, how to control it. And so he had to find people that were better with him on a, on a leadership perspective. And, and I suppose it comes back to like sort of, um, United, unless you tell me otherwise, you, you didn't do any uh, particular um, uh, defined subjects on, on leadership. It's very difficult to find anything on, on leadership. And you, you gave that a great example of the boss that you had previously. And I'm sure that you've learned through a process of osmosis from them. If we've got people out there who want to do everything that we, we've said within this toolkit, how can we make them a how how can we make them a better leader? How can we make them more empathetic with their team, um, but not have that Chris Evans um, issue? What would your advice be on that, please? Uh, mentorship is like number one. I've I've been really fortunate to have four now really really strong mentors throughout my career um and some of them have been informal some of them have been really formal and each one of them has taught me something really different um i've been also very fortunate like my mum my was was i'd argue was probably my first great mentor in all of this she was always the one who's like pushing me to go and do something different do something greater do something better but then to get that like outside perspective so you're absolutely right actually the way I lead my teams is exactly how I was led by by Louis like and the things that I say and the way in which I do it and the way the, like the people first thing that all came from him and I'd had bosses before but they'd never taken the interest in me yeah. to actually like soft coach it's not as simple as yeah. just sitting down with a powerpoint going and this is how one leads like oh. it's, it's yeah. it, it doesn't that doesn't work um, you kind of learn, I, I learn by doing, it. everyone learns slightly different, but I'm a real, like, I have to do it and get it wrong multiple yeah. times before I kind of figure it out. Yeah. Um, and he knew that and he helped me to do that. And he taught me how to do that. And he gave me enough responsibility that I could flex those muscles and expand into that space. And then when I got the next job, which he was like, he was very sad to see me go, but also was incredibly helpful Excellent. in me getting the damn job. Um, <laughs> he was on the phone with me probably for the first, certainly in the first year, probably every two or three weeks, I'd be like, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know how to do that. And he, you know, this was well outside of his job agreement. The guy's a busy dude. Um, yeah. But he would always take, always make the time, always tried and always passed on that stage advice. So yeah, if you're, if that's where you're kind of thinking at the moment, I think mentoring in terms of like learning those leadership skills, if you can't, like to your point, you can read books on it and you can go do it, but actually it's like, it's really dependent on this environment you find yourself in, the environment you create, yeah. um, how you can go about leading. So I would strongly advise the mentor thing. I know my mum's really into that. Um, but, um, and it also, the other thing maybe to think about is, it's that, it's, I'm not, I'm not a religious person, at all but the christian advice of like treat others as you would wish yourself to be treated is yeah. pretty solid advice in life yeah. and if you feel like if you ever feel in you're in a leadership position where you feel like oh i wouldn't want that to be me like have a dig deep there and, and yeah. in those moments those are the things i think you can make better decisions on yeah and also isn't a bit about um learning to say no but with a with a positive justification um that <laughs> as, as a leader someone comes to you to say i, I want six months off australia on a paid basis no but this is why if you if you work towards this we perhaps can review it as some winging as, as normal but just thinking about that chris evans thing about some um, yeah. all these people coming in that you, you've got to oh I, I don't really like the word respect or 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 anything but but you've got to you at, at the end of the day you are the, the boss and, and you need them to do a job but um the, the best employee is, is the one that's managing you isn't it rather absolutely. than you absolutely 
completely. I think there's what well, the example there. Um, again, this goes back to some Cynex work. He's really good at this stuff. Um, it's about having difficult conversations, and a lot of it is in those in those relationships in those power dynamics. A lot of the time, the person who's who's kind of either giving difficult news or how or instigating like what you describe as a difficult conversation, saying no to something, often doesn't know how to start it or has never been coached or trained in what to say in those moments, what to do. Um, and it's a really good piece of advice. And I've absolutely started using this. And mum, if you ever hear me talking like this, you know where it's come from now, <laughs> is you start by going, I am afraid that I, I, I have something difficult to talk to you about, but I am afraid that I am going to say the wrong thing and it's going to come not come out the way I want it to, but I want to have a really productive conversation. Where would you like me to start? And it's like that, like, that was such a thing with me. I've absolutely loved my missus as well. I'm so sorry. But like, it's like, when I have to have those really hard conversations, whatever it's about, like just starting from that position of vulnerability and going, yeah. I am, I do, I do not want to do this either, but we have to talk about this. Yeah. It's been such a game changer. And, and do you think that would um, assist if you've got a toxic work culture to take, take, take that sort of approach? Depend, right. The toxic work culture thing. I, I, I this is a bit of a loaded question for me because this was the best piece of advice I ever saw given anywhere. Someone raised that. I was in a like a wellbeing seminar. Someone raised their hand and asked the panel and said, "Right, I've got the leadership team. Do not believe in engagement. They're not interested in doing it. I've been. I'm a HR practitioner. I've been struggling with this for ages. What do I do to convince them?" And the panel all unanimously agreed, "Go and get a new job." Wow. Like, because it like so there's, there comes a point where you just have to draw a line in it and go like. I can't do wow. that anymore. I was talking to a really good friend of mine, actually. He's in, um, he has recently, he, he's handed his notice in without another job because he's had just such a bad fallout with his line manager about something. It's relatively arbitrary in the grand scheme of things. Yeah. But um, it comes up time and time again. If the person, if you can't, if you're fighting the layer above you all the time, yeah. you're maybe doing the wrong thing and a lot of that toxicity comes from there and some of that is lack of communication like the person in that position yeah. saying no maybe not explaining the why or yeah. the, the, maybe this is kind of more going on in the background some of it might just be frustration with the business in general but if you're if you're if you're really experiencing toxicity you've really got to ask yourself like how what's it doing to me and is it actually worth do i need yeah. to be here and if the answer is yes then okay there's like there's maybe some things you could do to protect yourself, the barriers and that you can put up or the distance that you can give yourself between yourself and your work. Like that's some advice you can give, yeah. but ultimately like go find a new job. Okay. So, so Ted, that's an, on an employee perspective. What if you're an employer and, and you're aware that there's a, a toxic work culture? It, uh, is, 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 it, is it a matter of just finding out the, finding out the bad eggs and just realizing that if you don't sort this, this out, you're, you're going to have an ongoing problem. In all seriousness, yeah, that's actually that's really sound advice. Um, it's a really difficult one as well. There's this whole is it Brene Brown talks about firing brilliant assholes, yeah. Um, which is like it's like, but it's it's so difficult to do if your top performers or your top earners are also the the cause of the biggest toxicity in your workplace. Like, what are you going to do about that? The reality of it is, if depending, it depends where you where you're investing your effort. If you're a very small business, doesn't matter. Like, you need the money, frankly. Like toxic culture is the least of your problems yeah if you're a larger business though the the knock-on consequence of that one person yes they might be earning you they might be your top sales biller or might be head head of a big department or something it's really important really integral really knowledgeable but the cost that you get incur from that like that you can absolutely measure by the way yeah if you look at retention and yeah. uh, and and get satisfaction surveys you could do your emps or whatever you want to do to like figure that out but if you're not addressing that, you're, all you're really doing is hurting your business long term. If you're yeah. not addressing that, some of that will be behavioural. But there comes a point where you do have to say to people, 
I'm afraid that regardless of the value you're bringing to this business, yeah, that the, the this is the line, and you're afraid you've crossed it. And, yeah. and I've, I've fought, very few businesses, in my experience, are willing to willing to go there. Yeah, because because I, I think it's a British thing, isn't it? We don't particularly like conflict within the within the work environment. One thing I've, I've learned, or, or and advise companies who can come to me saying we're concerned about our, um, our 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 turnover of staff, exit interviews, perform a proper exit interview, and yeah, yeah. when you've done all the the normal stuff, ask them why are you leaving. And then ask them again, why are you leaving? And then ask them again, come on, why are you leaving? And with one particular client, it turned out to be one individual um, who was just so disruptive that the, that the um, small management team knew, knew nothing about, about the vindictiveness and the bullying that was going on. And they'd had three people leave in a very short period. And none of them, um, were, they were all frightened of this individual. And they found out what the problem was and, and subsequently re removed it. And it was happy days with one of the individuals actually going, going back to the business because they, they actually liked it. So maybe like the more important question isn't why are you leaving, but what would make you stay? Oh, well done. Oh, I like that. Uh, yeah. 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 And 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 Ted, just to but sometimes sometimes you need to ask the question five times, five times to get get the answer to sorry, it's a bit psychological, but to to break to break people down, not break people down, but to get to to get them to to finally reveal why 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 they're looking to move on. So, so Ted, we're slightly um running out of time. But just before we before we bring the the, the rest of the team back in, uh, marketing. What role does marketing pl play in the workplace in the respect of of well being and and staff retention and attracting more people in? So I think about it um, particularly about communication, right? Yeah. One of the biggest things we learned through the pandemic was how important it is to communicate. And the advice everyone was giving was over communicate, which in hindsight was pretty crap advice. Because the problem we now have is just everything got really busy. And what you end up with at the, at the user end is just like noise. It's like too many notifications on your phone. Like yeah, yeah. you just can't distill the important ones from the dross. Um, getting your communications right is especially in large businesses is so important it's so difficult i have not yet met a single business that's like we've nailed communications apart from i can think of one example actually where they have just a massive they've spent a huge amount of money time effort and a huge team just on internal comms and they make it cool they make it trendy and it kind of works but like it's just it's just a really really difficult thing i'd be really clear with the channels that you want to use when you're communicating i'd be really clear and visible as a leader like how you want to communicate and i'd embrace new types of technology i'm seeing i've seen more and more people doing like video stuff which is awesome um and i remember actually talking with um was it andy clarkson from greenvale um he did tons and tons of video stuff about uh, talking about where the business is going what you guys were doing and, and why they were doing it we seemed to start out in fields talking about it but like yeah. It was it was a really helpful way to actually communicate these slightly more subtle and nuanced messages with a human face. It's not just a case of corporate says. It's actually a case of well, this is what we're doing, and you know, let's talk about it like people. So, like, um, invest time and effort into your comms. It is not an afterthought. And like, so when you ask about mar the marketing thing, a lot of the time, internal comms either sits with HR practitioners, which yeah. who have who are maybe slightly more generalist, even or maybe specialist. If you're specialist into that, kudos to you though. Um, or it lands at the feet of marketing. Marketing do a great job externally communicating, but then as a byproduct, they have this kind of like, oh, and you have to do the internal comms piece as well. And that seems to be the, the one kind of pitfall it is because the internal piece is just never going to get the love that the external one is yeah. because it doesn't generate revenue in the same way. Yeah. So my advice again on that would be sort your comms piece out, have someone who really owns internal comms and is responsible for it and cares 
Because when you've got that level of care and respect for it and you actually put the effort and energy in, what you'll find is that all the other things start to fall into place a bit more. People know where they're supposed to be. They know what they're doing. They, you, can, you can have the great mission, but if you don't communicate what it means and how we live it and what, what it actually impacts us and the rest of the business, it's kind of moot. Well done. And, and to me, it's a bit like the example that we started off with. Um, um, team, do you want to come back in? Debbie, Christine, Beverly, Kirsty. Um, it's a bit like the example of, uh, of the computers. If you give someone a rubbish computer, they're going to get very dissatisfied. And likewise, if but it costs nothing to fix in the grand scheme of things. But communication, if you just spend a little bit more, and not just financially, but and, and time and resource to make that communication better. Again, like that computer example, it's going to make the culture of the business that, that, bit, that bit better, Ted. I believe so. There's, it's all, and it's all small increments. There's no one thing that's going to go. Anyone who says they're selling you the one thing that can fix it is lying. Um, <laughs> I've definitely said that to a few people in this room before. Um, but um, no, it's all small incremental change. It can take a really long time. You've got to be patient with it. But ultimately, if you put the time, effort and, and love into it, it'll work out. The love into it. Beverly, you definitely put the love into it within within your your team um, because G is one of the most successful businesses in, in fresh produce. But as we've talked before, Beverly, it's not been an easy journey for, for, for yourself. Would you would you agree with the whole sentiment that Ted and I have been talking about, Beverly? Oh, absolutely. Ted, that was a fabulous talk that you've just had with Max. Really enjoyed it. And um, lots of ideas there. And I think the thing that I'm taking away, which I work with every day, is that there is no one solution. And it is about trying to treat everyone as individuals. And I think, Max, you're right. We, we spent some time quite, a, um, you know, a few sessions ago talking about values and culture yeah. and the importance of purpose. And, we, and, you know, that's when at that point got raised, which you, you said how important that is, Ted. And um, in, 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 in terms of purpose, I think that's becoming more and more important as we move through millennials through to the Gen Zs. And there's a different expectation of what the workplace is all about. And then the other thing that's kind of coming to light for us, that um, the influence of trust and the influence that trust has on building those levels of engagement. And the, 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 the model I kind of like to reference here, Ted, I don't know if you know, it, is that Stephen Covey one? Which I'm is about the, COVID yeah. One, yeah. So the trust matrix, which yeah. is about competence and, and, and of course, about character. So the competence part, we, we know we can help with. So training, development, attachments, great communication, getting the right kit so that people can do their job well and more easily. And then the, and then the character one is, you know, that about kind of integrity, transparency, and, you know, making sure that you promote and celebrate when someone is behaving in the way in which, you know, generates the levels of trust and, and then people seem to be kind of more content with where they're working. But Beverly, can you give your boy analogy again? Can you remember that one? <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. So the boy analogy is um, so that's a boy as in in the sea. So uh, ab above the water are the the behaviours and what you see somebody doing, and then below the water is their values and their beliefs, and um, and 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 it's those that. You, it takes a little bit of time to get to know, but once those are aligned and they're anchored in the sea, yeah. the behaviours then don't float too far away from those core values. Yeah, I remember that because that was just mm -hmm. such a brilliant analogy. Kirsty, with all of the businesses that 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 you work with, that you deal with, you must have a bit of a, a juggling act because you're seeing so many different cultures. Oh, does that the good, the bad, and the ugly? So you must be quite influenced, and you must have MDS 
um, uh, uh, Graz coming to you, trainees coming to coming to you for advice? Absolutely. And one of the great things about working with so many different businesses is we can see that there's a place for everybody. You don't all need to be doing the same thing. So not everybody needs to have the the same core values because people, especially particularly people going to their early careers, they all want different things as well. So you've got to be honest about what you're doing. Don't go out there and say, oh, we're really focused on um, sort of um, employee welfare and sustainability and we want to listen to everybody. If that's not actually how your business is going to be able to function and operate, be true to it because there will be people out there who will fit within your values. But what we're definitely finding is that people want to know that they're not just sort of whitewashing. I always think of um, H&M and all the trouble that they've got into with their sort of green washing where they're saying that all their yeah, clothes are yeah. sustainable, but actually they're not. And actually now people are furious with the brand because they weren't living up to their the values. Yeah. So just be honest with what you are going to do and think about how you can do it as well. Yeah. Christine? I think I would say that nobody leading a business actually wants to have dissatisfied employees. And and I would always challenge anybody if they're not happy or there's something that's not right. Go and tell someone, go and tell, go and tell the boss, go and tell somebody, because you will be doing them a huge favor. They're not deliberately running somewhere where people aren't happy. And if they don't listen to you, go back to Ted's recommendation. If you've made your point and they're not don't listen to you and they don't change anything, you're in the wrong business. Yep, it's a, it's a please tell people because nobody is deliberately running somewhere where people are not operating at their best. Mm. Remember when I was um, recruited on the milk round, um, Mars Confectionery said to me, "You know, most people will give seventy percent of what they what they can at work, and um, you know, you might come here and you might decide that you're going to give us ninety percent, and that's wonderful. But what we really want is people that can get whole teams to lift themselves from seventy to eighty because that's much more." Wow than one person at 90 and that was something I didn't even join them at the time I did go and join them later but at the, I kept thinking about it's not all about me it's about how I can try and get the best out of other people yeah well done De Debbie you must be very proud of this Ted, Ted chat mustn't you he's definitely interesting and different I don't know how he comes to be doing what he's doing given that uh, he was supposed to be saving the world one cabbage at a time at one stage <laughs> Yeah, but, but but seriously, just to, just to reiterate the question to you, you've worked with a, a myriad, a, a select number of businesses, whether that be on the supply side or with the, with the likes of Sainsbury's, you you must have uh, seen this whole cultural um, uh, element play out in all of its manifestations. Yeah, absolutely. I, I'm very lucky to have worked for Sainsbury's and PepsiCo, and both of them have amazing cultures, structure, um, and, and the ability to be a be better version of yourself. Um, and I explained when when I when I moved to Sainsbury's and when I moved to PepsiCo, I explained to Ted and his sister exactly why I believed in what they were doing. Because needless to say, when you move to somewhere like PepsiCo, the kids are saying, "What do you mean you you go into the the crisp people?" Yeah, <laughs> but from the fresh produce industry. But actually, yeah, there's a real mission behind a mission and a culture behind PepsiCo, and it's actually about wanting to feed the world better. 
yeah. and uh, with be with better stuff. But you you know that'd be funny. People are still going to snack. So how can you make that a better better way of doing? And it was it was actually a really empowering culture. So yes, loved it. Very Let, let's, th thank you, Debbie. Let's, Ted, do winning businesses have winning cultures? Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. Um, I'm trying to think of like an example. Actually, it was one of the examples you were giving before we were talking about before. Um, I was thinking about Brewdog. Brewdog were famous for having this fantastic culture and look at the, the, the trajectory they went on. But as soon as you pierce back the veil and as soon as that came undone a little bit, the damage that it's done to both their shares, their brand, their reputation, um, I don't think I, I, I they're not going to go away, but I don't think they'll ever be what they could have been. Um, yeah. So, yes, winning cultures are absolutely critical um, to success, but only when they're done. Uh, with uh, trust and honesty. Oh. Ted, well, well done, everyone. We're, we're running out of time. Ted, could you just summarise for us? We've we got. I'm sorry, I'm putting you on the spot here, and you, you weren't expecting this, but we've got uh, we've got we've got a challenging 18 months coming coming up. I've always been told that uh, whether there be a world war, world recession, world pandemic, if you're in the eating game or the cleaning game, you're going to be fine. So we're all in the in the eating game, but we're going to have this tr tricky 18 months. What would your advice be to employ employees, um, people who work within the food industry or the ag industry, or people that employ uh, within the sectors, as to how we can energize everyone, whether it be an employee or, or an employer, to, to get through the 18 next 18 months? What would your advice be, please, Ted? Uh, number one would be take care of yourself. I think that's okay. um, it's one of those things whether it's mental health whether it's financial well-being whether it is your diet your exercise whatever it is it's very difficult for you to inspire anything in other people if you uh if you're fighting that yourself so um take care of yourself sort um, it's not even fix yourself or any of that stuff if you need to go to therapy go to therapy if you need to tell your parents you love them tell your parents and kids you love them whatever whatever it is um but if you can be happier within within yourself and you take better care of yourself, you're able to do that both to the people around you, but also the people who you work with. Yeah, well said. I, I wasn't I was expecting you to say that, but everyone, that just makes so much sense, doesn't it? If you're if you're positive in, in yourself and you walk into the office on the Monday morning, you're just going to have that uh, that aura about you, aren't you? That was actually I, I, that was one of the jokes I always made. If you want to improve a company culture, like just walk in the office with a smile in the morning, it actually doesn't cost you anything. Uh, yeah. <laughs> rather than a new computer. Christina, you're going to wrap up for us, please. Well, I just wanted to say thank you very, very much, Ted, for coming and chatting to us about something that, oh, it was just lovely to hear and, and it, it made sense and you were just ticking things and things. Yes, but it's just great to hear it all put together by somebody and very eloquently. So thank you very much indeed. And uh, everybody, you might have noticed that we actually had two men speaking to us most of the way through the, through the meeting today. And that was a sort of a, a first for us. Good, good make any big song and dance about it. We just decided it was a topic that we wanted to cover. Um, but just a, a reminder, we, um, we have got our in-person event on the 26th of September. Um, we've put some links out. I've, I've tweeted it um, to, today as well, but if you can't find it, just look under Eventbrite Women in Food and Farming and you will find it and you'll be able to buy your ticket and come and join us on September the 26th in the evening. Thanks to Savills. It's, an, it's a really very good value because they're giving us the room. But uh, thank you all to my lovely panellists that just keep coming and to Max, you're such a stalwart of everything that we do. So thank you very much indeed. No problem. And just to say, uh, because Christy's going to be too modest about it, uh, the Women in Food and Farming would like about £1,000 uh, sponsorship. Come on, it's nothing to create a website that your name and brand will be on for the, for the next three, three, four years. And Ted doesn't know this, but Ted's going to build the website. <laughs> oh, he knows. He knows. <laughs> 
<laughs> it's been ensnared. Everyone, well done. That, that was brilliant. We'll see you at the, the, the next one. And all of you uh, amazing ladies have a fantastic time at Savills at the, uh, uh, in central London uh, at, the, at the end of the month. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, Ted. You're brilliant. Thank you. Uh, thank, thank you, everyone. Bye-bye, everybody. Bye, everybody. Bye. -bye. Bye.